Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionize the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. I'm delighted today to have Danny Shell. She's co-founder and CEO of Vala with me on the Scale Her Up podcast today. Welcome, Danny. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Really great to have you here. Despite the accent, I think you're actually in Scotland, aren't you? That's right. Yes, I've got a, I guess, mid-Atlantic accent. I'm originally from Tennessee, but I live and have lived in Scotland for quite a long time. Awesome. So we just start off with a bit of an introduction to you and your journey as a female entrepreneur. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Danae. I'm co-founder and CEO of Vala. Vala is a DIY legal platform for consumers. So we help people take their employers to tribunal and go through the whole grievance to tribunal process without a lawyer, because most people can't afford lawyers, unfortunately. And this is a business that I've co-founded with my, my friend, Kate. We worked together at another startup and we were both women in technology. We were seeing a lot of issues ourselves and we decided um, to look into this problem and why people didn't seem to be able to use their rights at work and really you know, got a good understanding of the legal industry and thought we could make a big difference there. So yeah, that's, that's how Vala started. It was me and Kate being pretty mad about what we were seeing. <laughs> so had you always wanted to have your own business or was it just purely fueled by a gap in the market that you'd seen? No, I had always wanted. So I grew up pretty entrepreneurial. My father um, ran his own businesses and I was supposed to take over the family business when I came out of college, but I rebelled and moved to Scotland instead. <laughs> and, and then I, I had started a business just as blogging became like a paid thing. And back when Google first started paying for ads on websites, I started a publishing business about lingerie, of all things, because um, I had gotten really interested in lingerie and bra sizing for women. And there was nobody really out there on the internet talking about confidence, bra sizing, you know, luxury lingerie and things like that. So I built this entire business around that um, over five years where I was working. And then it wasn't quite what I wanted to do next. So I closed that to see what would happen next, joined a few other startups, learned a lot about how to run a business, worked with some fantastic startups that were really transparent about how they made decisions and realized as I was working there that you know, I really wanted to be a CEO. I really wanted to build fantastic businesses, high you know, inspire high-performing teams. And so I knew that that was kind of the trajectory I was heading on. And then when Kate and I saw this problem, we thought, oh yeah, that's like, let's, let's dig into that. that. That feels like it's worth taking our time on, basically. So how long ago was that then? We started working on Vala in summer of 2019 and we registered the business in March 2020. Uh, that's an interesting time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we it was really interesting. We um we had been speaking to a few potential investors before that 
a VC had approached us, I think just because Kate and I are pretty well known here in Edinburgh in the you know technology scene. And we had talked a little bit about how we were starting a new thing. And a VC said, do you know a lot about raising money through VC? And I said, well, sort of, but I'm not sure it's the right option for us. And he talked us through it and we kept talking and decided that it might be worth going down that path. And then when COVID hit, I had a pre-arranged meeting with him for like literally the day after lockdown started. And I was expecting him to either cancel or to come on and say, you know, like, well, we're not doing anything right now. Let's talk later. But instead he said, now is the perfect time to be building a business. You know, we, um, we want to back you. We're in. So we've, we'd like to lead you around. So we, and we'd like to help you, you know, raise the rest of the rounds so that you can get going on this business. And it, it shocked, shocked me. I mean, they were right. It, you know, a downturn is a perfect time mm. to build a business as so many businesses found out. But yeah, it wasn't quite what we were expecting to hear. <laughs> but that was um, then, you know, we started registering, doing all the paperwork and uh, gearing up for our pre-seed round, which we closed later that year and then went full time in the end of 2020. So I'm thinking I'd like to dig in further into the funding, where where you find funding for a new business, because there'll be lots of people that are listening that either are looking for some sort of expansion or are thinking of thinking of starting something. So talk us through that process and, and what anybody needs to be considering when they're looking to find funding. Absolutely. So we we went the venture capital route, and that is a very specific route. Venture capitalists only want to invest in businesses that have the potential to be billion dollar businesses. So, you know, Deliveroo's, Skyscanner, Google, all those kinds of businesses. And so venture capital is only appropriate if you want to build a business like that. If you believe that your idea and your business model has that scale potential. And if you're willing to sell your business at some point or float on the public markets, because that's the only way that your investors get a return on their investment. And I think a lot of people, when they hear about venture capital, they didn't know, they don't know those things. And so I always like to tell people when they're thinking about funding from VCs, that's, that's what that means. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the specific subset of businesses that that funding model really applies to. That's not the only kind of funding we've taken. We also received um, grants from Innovate UK and Scottish Enterprise for research and development. You know, we're doing lots of technically difficult things and disrupting markets and learning how to do that. And we've been funded um, by both of those organizations for that kind of work. And Innovate UK funding in particular is a great way to test the feasibility of an idea, get some funding to test that feasibility before you really need to dive in and, you know, try and commercialize it, essentially. And there are great services like Grantify that can really help with um, writing those grants as well, if that's a brand new thing that someone has done. And then we also took angel investment. Angels are different from VCs. Some of them, you know, have the same exact criteria as a venture capitalist where it has to be, you know, potentially billion dollar business. But other angels, they invest because, you know, they believe in what you're trying to do. They want to learn more about what you're trying to do. They want to learn more about that industry. There's lots of different reasons why angels invest. And it's very tax efficient in the UK for someone to invest as an angel, especially if you're in that very, very early stage of starting a business because SEIS, which is the tax vehicle for very early stage investment, it's very tax beneficial to the angel. And even if your business completely fails and goes 
you know, goes away, they still get most of their money back from the government. So angel investment is a very attractive option for a lot of a lot of businesses, much a much broader option than just the VC path. And those are the three types of funding that, that we've taken so far. And where would someone go to find a funder? Well, I so networking is the, the short okay. answer, but I'll 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 kind of try and be a little bit more helpful with that. <laughs> so I, I generally so Kate and I, we split out the work in this business as I'm the kind of external person and she is the internal person. She runs the business day to day. She runs all of our sprint ceremonies, our planning and things like that. And I typically am, am out there meeting people as a job. <laughs> and so, I mean, it really like I'm running a seed round right now. I have a pipeline of probably about 120 different funds and places that I've contacted or already had relationships built with for that seed round. And a lot of my job is just to find the people who have the money and find the people who know the people that have the money. There are also great networks. So for a female founder, there are some fantastic angel networks in particular that I'd really recommend you check out. Um, Investing Women Angels are wonderful and they have a program called Accelerate Her that does a lot of training, boot camp, lots of missions to different countries to help you understand different markets. They're fantastic. And they have a great awards awards program every year that where the prize is mentoring and kind of connections. They're great. Um, Her Mesa is another fantastic angel network in London who just have amazing angels who have lots of operational experience that you know, we're just curious about lots of different kinds of businesses. So, you know, getting in touch with some of those networks is a good starting point. And then after that, it's literally going through your LinkedIn and uh, figuring out who knows who you want to know. <laughs> There's a lot of support out there, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, I've done a fair amount of, so I've self-funded some support. I did a program called Fundraising Bootcamp, which I would highly recommend. It's worth every penny and and paid that money with a smile on my face. And then I've been funded to do some great stuff as well. Uh, there's EIE, which is a great fundraising organization or fundraising kind of program as well. And Accelerate Her, most of their, uh, I think all of their training is free and it's just excellent. So yeah, take advantage of that training because I didn't know what I was doing when it came to fundraising or a lot of other stuff when we first started. I knew how to work in a startup. I knew how to run teams in a startup. There's just so much you don't know when you're starting a business. You just have to invest in yourself. Invest in yourself and ask. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Ask all. And, you know, I think that's probably the thing that I've had to get most comfortable with is asking for help, asking for introductions, asking online. I mean, the reason that venture capitalists who contacted us knew that we were even, you know, looking at funding was because I tweeted about it and said something, you know, like, hey, Mm -hmm. we're thinking about funding any any ideas of what I should be thinking about and stuff like that. So, you know, put out there into the world what it is that you're trying to learn about, what kind of help you need and and let people help you because generally I find they do. They want to help. They want to connect you with someone. They want to give you that introduction. Absolutely. I I know that a lot of people can feel a bit uncomfortable about putting themselves out there in networking, on social media, in, in the media or whatever. What would you say to people that, are feeling a bit reluctant, a bit uncomfortable about that. Yeah, I completely understand. I've had to go on this journey myself. I'm a lot more comfortable with it now, but I kind of had to uh, 
train myself a little bit by little bit to kind of learn that it was safe. <laughs> and I find networking is interesting because I think we all think of like, you know, like bad drinks in like a conference room when we hear mm-hmm. that word, when really to me, networking is asking people, how can I help you? And asking them for help when I need it. And networking is mentoring. Networking is posting on LinkedIn and saying, I just learned something really cool and I want to share it with all of you. And then, um, you know, asking a question the next week and saying, does anyone know anything about this thing? It's so much more collaborative and it's so much more creative than just looking at someone and saying, what can you do for me? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I I think if you, um, I think if you can avoid the conference room mentality and just think about peer mentorship support groups with people who are going through the same, you know, problems that you are. You know, I do a weekly mastermind with two other CEOs every Friday morning. And we just kind of say, you know, what we're up to and we help each other that way. That's that to me is really networking. It's it's not conference rooms. Absolutely. Absolutely. You said something there about other people that are going through the same problems that you are. What have been the biggest challenges for you in business? (laughs) <laughs> where do I start? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the um, the first one was definitely funding because Kate and I are not 25 years old and we can't eat ramen noodles, you know, as our only sustenance. So we needed to figure out how to fund us to be able to pay our mortgages and still work on this startup. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how that landscape worked was definitely my first issue. I think the next big issue was figuring out what is it that we're actually building we fell in love with the problem, which is what you're supposed to do, right? You fall in love with the problem, not the solution. So you immerse yourself in the problem, talk to tons of people, and then you try lots of different solutions until you figure out you know, what the market actually wants. That, that took a lot of time and we pivoted while we were going through that process. And it was a big, I called it our planned existential crisis when we decided to pivot. We originally did a B2B model we realized that that wasn't going to work, but we didn't know exactly what was the right thing to do next. And so we went through this three-month period of customer discovery, going back out to the market, mapping the market, talking to people. And I like, I hated it. Kate has done this before. Kate is a product specialist. So she really guided me through it. It, it was just awful not knowing what we were. And, you know, I was just like, let's just try anything. Let's do anything. <laughs> And she was, you know, she really kind of walked me through it. And and we got to who we are now as a result of that, you know, that work and that rigor. So it was the right thing to do, but it was excruciating at the time. It really did teach me, you know, if you if you really follow the process, you know, the lean methodology, if you really follow through with your customer discovery work, you will get to a good answer rather than feeling as if you kind of have to throw spaghetti against a wall. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that was very challenging. Now we have whole new challenges. We launched our open beta in April and, you know, just a little bit like trickle of kind of new signups and things like that. But in the last month, and um, we've just seen like a massive increase in people using the platform, people purchasing our products. And now we have that wonderful problem, which is um, how do we service the demand that we have? Um, how do we flesh out some of the products that we MVP'd, but now, um, you know, are ready for prime time and there's a big market pool for them. You know, now I'm talking to my friends who know more about ops and servicing and customer success. Whereas, you know, last year we were talking to people who knew more about product and development, product discovery and things like that. 
there's always something new to learn, isn't there, oh. when you're in business? Goodness, yes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a new thing every day. I mean, not to mention grant writing, grant management, you know, all the HR stuff, all the usual things. Like there's so many hats. That's why it's fun. And that's why it's hard. That's why everybody doesn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if it was easy, everyone would do it. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So you talked about the HR stuff. Are you building, building a team around you? Yeah, yeah. there are six of us in total. Um, so me and Kate, and we have a lead engineer, a lead designer, a marketer, and our lawyer turned business analyst as well, who um, is working with us. And we'll plan to grow the team um, a little bit more after our next raise as well. So how do you find the right people to join? Goodness, yes. I kind of think about this as a slightly different way. The first thing I'm worried about is not hiring the wrong people. And yes. We um we do a lot of that in the way that we write our job ads. Um, so our job ads, for example, you know, really clearly state what our values are. You know, we we write right in there. You know, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights. The patriarchy hurts everyone. Um, this is what we believe in. This is the you know we want to make sure that people understand that. And from the beginning, so that they understand the kind of you know work environment they're walking into. And and you know um what we're fighting for as a business like that's kind of why Vala exists and then on the flip side of that we work very hard as well on those job ads to make sure that people don't self-select out because of institutional bias so yeah. we do a lot of work to say you know if you are returning to work we want to hear from you if you check most of these boxes but not all of them we want to hear from you you know, the, all that kind of stuff. We That's brilliant. I, I've got a number of clients at the moment that are recruiting and I'm talking them through the, the recruitment process should be an opportunity for them to deselect themselves, make it difficult for them to apply and you'll only get the ones who really want to work with you. But on the other side, yeah, we've not really been focusing on the fact that you might lose people because it, it's well known that... Um, women do this, I think, more than more than men do, is to think, well, I don't tick all the boxes, therefore I'll not, I can't apply for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What we do is we try to keep the top of the pipeline for hiring incredibly open. Like mm -hmm. when we did one of our first hires, the way we decided to do it was to score every application that came in and we set a threshold for a score before the hiring process started. And anyone who went over that score we did a, we offered an, a first interview. And that meant that I did 14 first interviews. Um, they were only half hour calls, but you know, I did 14 of them because, because that was the criteria that we wanted to set. And then we narrowed down pretty quickly from there um, using, you know, some exercises. Again, we try to keep that pretty light because, you know, not everyone has the capacity at home to do that kind of stuff. But we narrow down pretty quickly from that point, but we try to keep the top of the pipeline massively open to make sure that, I mean, yes, we want people to self-select out, but only if they're actually not going to be successful in the job, not yeah. because of some kind of bias that we've built into the system accidentally yeah. or because of a societal bias. No, that's, that's really, really interesting. Thank you. What's, what have been your biggest learnings on the, on the journey so far? Goodness. That's a, that's a great and big question. I think the first thing is probably that you, it's doable. You can do this. Like this is totally doable. I, th I think 
the reason that I knew I wanted to be a CEO was because I got accepted onto this training program for women in digital who wanted to reach executive or board level. And at the time I thought maybe I want to be like a chief marketing officer, something like that. And then I met all of these incredible women who were CEOs and I heard them talking about the problems that they were dealing with. And I thought, my goodness, I'm dealing with the same kind of problems, just, you know, at a different scale. And that really gave me that, you know, eye-opening moment where I was like, oh, they're, they're just like me. <laughs> I can do this too. If they can do it, I can do it. And, and I think that's probably a lesson that I just keep learning over and over is this isn't, especially for the area that I'm in with startups, the, the people that you look at who are massively successful in that whole area is, you know, a bunch of jerks like Elon <laughs> Musk and Jeff Bezos. I mean, those are just jerks. And they're, you know, they're also men. And you don't see a lot of successful female CEOs, especially who like aren't jerks like those guys are. And, you know, every day, sometimes I just have to remind myself, you know, I, I you know, when we can do this, I am doing it, therefore I can do it. And that, that is a new revelation for me very regularly. <laughs> it's, it's a learning that I keep having. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, the, I just had the revelation myself. That's the whole purpose of this podcast is that anybody can listen, can hear your story or anyone else that I've interviewed and go, oh, they're just like me. I can yes. do that. Yes. And I say that to, I say that to people all the time when I'm, I like to help people who are just one step behind, like maybe a year behind me in terms of, you know, um, how far they've gotten with their business. And I love to talk to them about the problems that I'm having because they can see it's, the gap is so much shorter and smaller and they can see that, you know, it's not some like, I'm not a mythical creature. Like these other CEOs who are way ahead of me are not mythical creatures. We're just working through it day by day and anyone can do this. You know, it's not this complete separate kind of class that sometimes it's treated like to make us all feel a little bit more egotistical. It's, it's not like that. Yeah, brilliant. Who, who have been your biggest supporters? Oh my goodness, so many people. I think that's, that's actually another big learning that I've had is ask for help because people will give it to you. And people want you to succeed. I like I can't even list the number of people who have since Kate and I said what we were trying to do and why we were trying to do it. You know, we want to close the access to justice gap. We want to create accountability in workplaces for discrimination and harassment and things like that. Offers of help just came pouring in and, you know, from people who were um, colleagues, people who just heard about us and um, connections came through. Some of the people who are our biggest supporters actually ended up becoming investors. One of our angel investors, she is on the other end of WhatsApp whenever I need her in terms of emotional support or just to have a little moan. You know, we have other supporters who have done so much for us in terms of connections and introductions. It, it really, the entire Scottish technology ecosystem has been the biggest supporter of Vala. It's just wonderful. And I try and pay that back as much as I possibly can, and especially pay it forward to like the crop of startups coming after mm -hmm. us. Those introductions in particular, like I try and introduce as many female founders to VCs and things like that as I possibly can, because that's how we build the power. That's how we build the power networks that we don't have access to. We create our own and yes. we, we do all the networking ourselves. So yeah, I've definitely taken, I've, I've been given that gift from other people and I pass that gift on to other people. Fantastic. 
I wanted to ask, obviously, a lot of my uh, listeners are founders like ourselves um, trying to start and scale a business. Given the kind of work that you're doing, helping people who've been maybe treated not very well in, in a workplace, how, what, would you, what would your advice be to the founders that are growing businesses to make sure that that doesn't happen yeah. in their business? Yeah, as you can imagine, I think a lot about this myself as an employer. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a few things. One is accept that bias and discrimination will exist within your organization unless you are constantly vigilant. But even then, you have to be constantly vigilant. It's not a case of I don't see color, I don't see race or whatever it is. That that's not that's not how our brains work and that's not how our society works. It is a problem. It is there already. Your job as an employer is to try and protect people from harm, to mitigate against the problems that will inevitably come up and to you know, give your employees, all of your employees, the best possible tools to prevent that from happening and to deal with it quickly and well when it does happen. So it's, I guess the first point there is don't put your head in the sand. It's there, you need to deal with it. And the way that we do this. We actually came out and um, we produced a course called Discrimination First Aid. It's just at discriminationfirstaid.com. And we originally designed it just for employees to learn how to be discrimination first aiders, just like a mental health first aider. And the idea was to be a better ally at work and to learn how to support someone who is going through discrimination at work, both on the um, employee rights side to know, you know, Here's what you should be able to ask your employer for in terms of support and how they deal with this problem, but also on the emotional side of, you know, someone's going through trauma. How do you support them through something like that? But we've actually found that employers want discrimination first aid training as well. So we've done a few custom cohorts um, with employers where they say, you know, I want my whole team to go through this because I want to make sure they understand what to do and what I'm supposed to be doing. They can hold me to account if something like this happens. It's very different from traditional DEI training. It's not, we're not DEI trainers. We just want people to know what their rights are. And we find that, you know, really healthy organizations also want their employees to know what their rights are. Because, you know, a lot of being an employer is saying to your employees, like, I'm not perfect. You have the permission to hold me accountable and to ask me for what you need. And it's my responsibility to take that seriously. So I think that dynamic is really healthy. So I would, I would start there. I think anyone who really, really wants to do this needs to go on their own journey and their own kind of anti-racist journey or, you know, whatever that is. And probably the biggest thing to think about is, you know, trying not to be defensive when something does come up. We're all like, we issues around discrimination in particular and all these things, they are the, they are the air that we breathe. None of us can avoid them. It's just about how we mitigate them and how we deal with them. So starting from that lack of defensiveness, I think, is a huge, huge first step. An awareness, I guess, of, you know, we've we've all grown up in a, you know, come through many decades of racism, sexism, homophobia. Excuse me if I miss any off the list. There are many, you know, but so used to that sometimes we don't even see it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness. Yes. I have teenage children. They see it. And, you know, they'll call us out on something that it's not it's not deliberate. It's kind of unconscious because that's how we've been 
you know, it's just been instilled in us for, for such a long time. So just making sure that everyone's aware, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's that open mindedness or that open heartedness, actually, of there's there's this really interesting book um, called The Fearless Organization. It's about psychological safety. I don't know if you've read it. And I haven't, um, but I might. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's a Harvard professor. She studied hundreds of teams. And what she found was that the teams that recorded the most mistakes were the highest performing teams. And that was exactly contrary to what she thought was going to happen. She thought it was going to be the team with the lowest mistakes were the highest performing. But it was the teams that reported the most that performed the best. And so then she started digging into why that was the case. And what she found was that those teams weren't necessarily the ones making the most mistakes, but they were the ones who felt comfortable enough to report the most mistakes. And because they could report those mistakes and because they had learned as a team to deal, learn from it, yeah, and that they had then dealt with it, that friction of reporting the mistake, working through what was wrong and then moving forward, that was an important and a necessary friction to learn how to deal with. And a lot of what I think being a more inclusive employer is, is learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable about the fact that People are going to tell you that you've done something wrong. You will have, you know, unintentionally harmed someone. And it's not, you know, that friction is actually the gold. That is the gold of high performing teams is learning to work with that friction, to embrace it, to make it healthy and learn from it rather than kind of, you know, bury it and yeah. <laughs> pretend like it never happened. And that's the teams that didn't do well. I just, I, I really kind of keep coming back to that when I feel defensive. <laughs> And I think, no, 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 this is the discomfort I'm supposed to embrace. No, this is good. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so you, you, you've touched a bit on, uh, on giving back and supporting others and helping other female founders coming, coming behind you there, you know, the ones that are just, just a step behind. Now, you, you know, know the purpose of the, the podcast. Yeah. I, I didn't like the statistics that I read. Uh, I thought, this is terrible, but why should only one in one in three entrepreneurs in the UK be female and why should men be five times more likely to scale their business up? What do you think we can do? How, how, are, we, how are we going to make a difference, bring about a revolution to, in those, those? I mean, you're in a, you're in a, a very um, male-dominated, traditionally male-dominated industry. How, what, what can we do? What do you feel that we can do? Or anyone listening, what would be your tips to, to make a difference to that? Give women money. I think there's that phrase where women are often over-mentored and underfunded. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a huge part of this is give women access to capital. Because as much as I you know, believe in investing in myself and training myself and everything else, I think um, there's a trap for women in the business industry where they, the establishment that we are kind of working within is comfortable giving us mentorship and training and things like that, but not comfortable giving us actual power. (laughs) And the first bit of power is money. So I think that would make a huge difference is just improving access to capital for women. The other thing that I think really transforms a woman's business is access to networks and opening up your black book for someone and saying, okay, who can I introduce you to? What is the issue that you're dealing with right now? How can I like, let me, let me call them right now. Let me send that email right now. Let's get you, let's get you talking to that person. I've had the benefit of people doing that for me. And it like, it, it completely changed 
the problem that I was trying to solve for someone to just say, okay, who, who do I know that can actually sort this out for you? The better your network, the more of a gift you're giving when you're opening that network out for, um, for someone else. It's, I really have, like, that's another lesson I've learned along the way is network it's is everything. genius. It's so simple. It's not, you know, it doesn't cost anyone anything, just a bit of time and a, a few questions. And, and, and the other thing is sponsorship over mentorship. Again, I'm like, I, I love mentoring. I do a lot of peer mentoring. I, I do, um, I am a mentee, I'm a mentor, but sponsorship is so much more valuable. And, and sponsorship is, you know, so within an organization, sponsorship is saying, I think X should take this project. I think she's ready to lead on this. I, I'm, I'm betting a little bit of my personal equity. I'm lending that equity to her and I'm going to put my neck out on the line for her. And in, in business, it's the same thing. You know, if you're willing to cash a few of your chips in on behalf of someone else, that is incredibly valuable, so much more valuable often than just giving them advice. Again, it's opening up that book. It's saying, you know what? I can call in a favor. I can ask that. Or, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to take a chance here. Like sponsor women. Don't just mentor them because we need access to power. That is what we do not have. We do not have access to the existing power structures. And those of us who do have some power, give it to other people. <laughs> oh, and this, this is the lesson. This is where I've been, I've, a number of interviews I've done recently, I've been looking for, I know we can't do this on our own as women. Mm -hmm. We need men there with us and do it. And I've, I've, I've interviewed two or three over the last couple of months, knowing that yeah, this is where I need to go. But that's the message that we need to give the men. Absolutely. They need to be doing that sponsoring part, that bringing the women up and, and yeah, holding yeah. them up and help lifting them up. And that, oh, that's brilliant. I'm having so many um, brilliant I, BFOs, blinding flashes, the obvious while talking to you, Dunny. So thank you so much. <laughs> not a problem. I, I think um, it, it, it makes such a huge difference in careers to have men in particular use some of their equity to sponsor us it's it's massive and yeah i mean the introductions some of the investments that i've gotten has been because a man said you know what you should really go and talk to this other guy and i'll call in a favor i'll find out if he's willing to talk to you and and that has just been massive so yeah yeah lend your power to a woman if you're a man yeah yeah actually to anyone coming up behind you but yeah anyone to particularly to those that might be finding it a little bit harder anyone from yeah. a historically marginalized community yeah. especially absolutely like i i used to do mentoring before i started vala i don't do mentoring now but if i come across a female founder who comes from any kind of historically marginalized background i will find the time to talk to her because my god one i, I say this to vcs all the time i'm like you want to find the outliers Go and find people who have had to work 10 times harder to get what they need to get done. Go and find the people who have had to be creative because they don't have access to the same networks. Those are the people who, I mean, my goodness, you put power into their hands. Think of what they can do. Yeah, the resources they've take, they've used to get to where they are. If you give them, yeah, if you fuel that, imagine where they can get them. Yeah, absolutely. It's not yeah. fair, but oh, goodness, I mean... Give them the power. Like they're the people who are going to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, they certainly are. Yeah. Oh, this is this is awesome. 
I don't always ask this one, but it's really relevant for you. So, you know, as a champion for women or disadvantaged people in the workplace, what is it that bothers you most? I actually just did a rant about this today on TikTok. The thing that honestly just, it just pisses me off so much when I tell people about what I do and what we do at Vala is the people who go, Ooh, but what about the bad employees? What about them abusing the system? You know, like you're telling them all about their rights. What if they use that? You know, what about that? Isn't that bad? And oh, it makes me so angry <laughs> because yes, of course there are jerks out there who use a system to their advantage and everything else. But the abuse that is actually happening in the system to almost everyone, like, you know, over 50% of women in the UK have experienced sexual harassment at work. 60 to 70%, depending on the protected characteristic you're talking about, people with disabilities, people from an Asian background, Black people, every single one of those demographics is somewhere between 60 to 70% when asked if they have lost an opportunity at work because of that protected characteristic. Like 60 to 70% of those careers have been either outright destroyed or halted because of this systemic problem in the workplace. And I'm like, and you want to talk to me about, you know, some jerk over here who's gaming the system. It, it makes me so angry because it's, it's, again, it's power fighting back. It's power trying to sustain itself. And it's even taught us, you know, we, we have this discomfort to challenge this, the way that things always have been. And I'm like, goodness gracious, can you not see what is actually happening here? We have lives and careers getting destroyed all the time. And everybody's saying, well, it's always been that way. So don't make a fuss. Like that is what really gets me. That is, that is my biggest bugbear when um, people talk about it. I'm like, you want to talk about abuse? Let's talk about abuse. <laughs> I don't actually know if that properly answered your question, but... <laughs> Uh, I think it did. I think it did. Yes. Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I always get head up about that, but that is um, that's been really bothering me lately. As I kind of talk to people, there is a lot of discomfort when you challenge power, especially you know we're changing a delivery model in the legal services as well. So it's all very new and it's all very challenging. And it's just that defensiveness that you mentioned earlier, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They don't like that. Well, get defensive because they don't like to be shown that there's a there's a, a flaw in their system. Exactly. Exactly yeah. that. Usually finishing the interview with one question just to check that I haven't missed anything really important. Is there anything that I should have asked you, Danae, that I haven't asked? Anything you want to talk about that I didn't didn't get to? I'm trying to think if there's anything else that someone listening, thinking about building her business wondering if she can do it, would want to hear, want to know about. I just hate for someone to go out there thinking, oh, it's still not for me. That person, you know, that Brenda, she's amazing. Like, I can't be like her. I'm not amazing. You know, that I never want people to think that when they hear about, you know, people building their businesses, because that's just really not true, that they can't do it as well. Ask me, ask me how I grew up. Ask me about my background. Oh, please tell us about your background. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, I think that is useful to know because I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, my mom didn't have access to running water until she started high school. We are mountain people, mountain people. <laughs> it was uh, like I, I had access to running water. We had like a normal house by the time I came along. Um, but, you know, I grew up in very, very rural place and 
there was not a lot of opportunities, even for someone with relative privilege like me. And, you know, I was just curious a lot and, you know, wanted to um, know why everything worked the way it did, which is the only reason why I kind of didn't stay around in Appalachia and ended up, you know, moving to a different country and everything else. You, you don't have to come from this, you know, perfect background in order to build a business in the UK. You don't, you don't have to have had a certain kind of education to build a business in the UK. You can, you can just be somebody who ran around barefoot and talked like a hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's useful to know is, you know, there's no, there is no one right way. You can, you can just find your own way. That's brilliant. I'm just thinking about you. You were saying if if somebody's listening to this and still thinking, I don't think it's for me. So if they've found scale her up and they've taken the time to listen and they've heard what we've talked about today, mm. and they still think I don't know if this is for me, then you need to connect with either myself or Danae, and we'll have another chat one to one and yeah. find out why you think that's not the case. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so that's. My challenge to anyone listening, if if you're at that point and having that thought in your head, please reach out to either one of us and let's talk That's about perfect, it. Perfect, Brenda. I love that. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me just offering that to the Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. That's wonderful. Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place yeah. to get me. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this chat with you today. Um, really great to have you on the Scale Her Up podcast. Thank you, Demi. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur's show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcast. Or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it, and we're gonna make a massive difference.